Startups get told to scale. Fortune 500 companies get told to scale, not small businesses for whatever reason. This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management, chasm, as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on everyone and welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. Question for you, how do you take a 70 hour work week and distill it down to 10 hours? If you had that type of power, then you can create a lot of freedom in your life. And that's exactly what our guest Veronica Kieran does for entrepreneurs. She helps them cultivate their freedom and security through entrepreneurship by teaching them the pillars of scaling your business. This episode, we speak to Veronica about her three pillars of business scaling, along with one of my favorite topics, automation. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a technology practitioner, or just a curious listener, I believe that you can use these pillars in your own life and capture more freedom. Without further ado, Let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have with us Veronica Kieran. Veronica is an anthropologist, serial entrepreneur, and coach to other entrepreneurs. In addition, Veronica also has helped founders cultivate freedom and security through entrepreneurship. I'm excited to learn more as an entrepreneur with Chris, but most importantly, Veronica, welcome to the show. Hi, Ron. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we are so excited for this. Not only are you very, very energetic, but also you're going to talk about one of the topics that I think is most important, especially when it comes to business, and that is being able to scale. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. Um, and I mean, I'm excited to talk with you guys. So feelings mutual. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually had one of those fun wayward journeys into entrepreneurship, which I think a lot of us entrepreneurs get there and going through a maze in order to become the people that we are. So my degree is actually in anthropology, as Ron said, and it was through the layoffs in the recession that I said, screw it. I'm not letting anybody else control my income anymore. I'm becoming an entrepreneur. Mm. Of course, when it's actually happening, you're more like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then today I get to say, you know, it was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But in the moment you're just terrified. But yeah, so I started a tech company. We were doing SEO, online marketing, all that fun stuff. And I became really passionate about scaling because I was the entrepreneur who had never heard of scaling because small businesses don't get told to scale. Startups get told to scale. Fortune 500 companies get told to scale. 
not small businesses for whatever reason. And so I, it was in 70 hour work week burnout that I first heard that word and figured it all out for myself. And I eventually got down to 10 hours a week and was like, okay, other people need to know how to do this. And so that's mm. what's led me here today. And as you know, there's been a lot more that's happened in, over that decade, but that's the summary. Oh, man, I definitely have to get to know your secrets. I'm trying to work 10 hours myself. <laughs> we essentially have two jobs. Right. <laughs> but before we jumped into like some of those tips and, you know, things that you've discovered over the years of just scaling businesses and helping entrepreneurs, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your background in anthropology. What did that you know, really mean to you? Like what made you focus on that type of field? And how do you take some of those learnings and apply them to being an entrepreneur today? That's such a good question. And I love talking about anthropology so much. I'm actually still an active anthropologist. And so I went to university for anthropology because it was a general ed, a gen ed requirements, take this course or this course. And so I chose anthropology, not really knowing what it was, and instantly became addicted because the basic foundational tenant of anthropology is that there is no right way to do things. I was like, yep, that's me. I'm here. Let's do it. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, I love people, love talking to you guys, love having conversations. And so again, anthropology, the study of humanity was such a great fit for me. But I went into it studying applied anthropology, I thought I was going to be a humanitarian. So using anthropology in order to bridge the gap between what people thought others needed and what others actually need. And so I actually, in my past life, spent two years in the disaster relief field for the United States government. And today now, fast forward a whole lot, I'm an active anthropologist, as I said, but I use it in order to study paradigm shifts, which we are in one right now. And so I am actively conducting ethnography, which is a fancy word for storytelling. I'm interviewing people mm. around the world in order to record the pandemic in real time and will be going to the two-year mark. So in March 2022 is when I end my interviews. And then Ron, I know this is like so much information, but Ron, you asked how I use it in business. <laughs> I know we're going to like backpedal. Let's I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like just here for you guys. But I use it in business because if you replace the word culture with the word target markets, I'm trained to understand how people behave and how people make choices in their lives. And so it is a seamless transition into using it for my own company and for the companies of the people that I coach. I mean, it sounds like such good information to have in just about anything that you do. But let's talk about scale for a moment, because I feel like I really didn't start to even think about scale until very late in my career. I felt like I, I just have to be good myself, right? That's all I need to do and do my one thing really, really well until mm -hmm. I got to Netflix, which is the ultimate place to scale. And they say, hey, Chris, you're great, but you're going to have to scale. And I'm like, well, what does that really mean? And so I had to sort of like work my way through what scale means. And then even Ron told me, uh, I said, hey, if you had one piece of advice for me in my field, what would you say? He said, you need to scale. And so slowly but surely, I've accumulated these little tasks and these tips and tricks to be able to scale myself, scale the company. But what does scale really mean to you and really to everybody out there? Oh, my God. So I'm just like, I wish that you could see me because I'm just nodding my head so hard against everything <laughs> that you're saying, like I'm headbanging over here. 
<laughs> yeah. So same story for me. Like I was told this word scaling, like you need to scale. And then nobody really explained what the heck that means. And so after all of these years in business and having multiple businesses, what it really boils down to is being able to grow exponentially without adding work to your plate. It might change the work, but it doesn't add to your hours. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Just putting it in a little nutshell. <laughs> and so what did you have to like, take us through your own scaling story a bit. So I know you were talking about you needed to scale and you needed to figure out how to do these things better. But tell us a little bit about that before and after of what it looked like when you started to scale. Oh, my God. Yes. And so I know that I know that you're going to resonate so much with this because the day came where I could not get out of bed. Like just, I couldn't, all my will had left me. I was two years into my company. I was proud of my company. My desire to do the work philosophically, let's say, hadn't ceased, but the very core of my being was like, no, we're not doing this anymore. And right. so I had to decide whether or not I was even going to continue being an entrepreneur. That was how bad it had gotten. And I'm sure that this resonates for a lot of people, including you fine folk, because again, if you don't have that toolkit, it can, it can, we just, we grind against our human 24 hour limit and we all have that limit. And so then we're just trying to take it all on and yes, you can do everything, but you can't do everything at once. And so I had a mentor at a time. He mentioned the word scale, but just like you're saying, Chris, like, what does that mean? And so I had to go through a process of figuring it all out for myself. And now today it's easy for me to put into a nutshell. I generalize it by saying there's three pillars of business scaling and it's all very easy. But at the time I was digging through the processes of figuring out the first pillar, which is automation. And so I was starting to use technology to give up tasks that I thought, I don't know, do you guys like have like a lot of pride in having that like personal touch in your companies, right? 100%. Yes. Like super sounds familiar. So like you don't want to give something up that you feel like you're, that's giving a personal touch to your clients and customers, but I was spending so much time, for example, like going back and forth and saying like, oh, like what time works for you for a meeting? And then, oh yeah, that, that works for me. I'll put it on the calendar. And like, that's not a good personal touch that takes up so much, so much time for both parties. And so introducing Calendly, it's like so simple, but that opened up so much more time. And then doing that for all of the projects and processes in my company, slowly, it was like dominoes, right? Like just like, Time open up, time open up, time and open up. And then... Calendly saved our lives, by the way. Right? <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I used it to schedule this interview. I actually use a different program now, but same concept. It's, it's the simplest things and you can still personalize them. Like I know that you guys personalize your Calendly. I got wonderful messages as a response uh, to, you know, making this work, but you don't have to be actively in the chair doing it, right? Technology can handle it for you. I'd love to hear how you guys are using automation, even within the podcast. I'm sure that your listeners are quite curious to hear a little behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm going to call you out. You're, you're talking to the right guy. Ron is the automation extraordinaire. You were right? talk <laughs> talking about loving those touches, which we do, but I love having that personal touch, but then having a machine do 
that repetitive tasks that we might not necessarily need to do. So really looking underneath of the hood of Hacker Valley Media a bit, mm. we use quite a few tools. One of the best tools, my favorite tools recently is Zapier. Yeah. Just because it can take the output from one tool and use it as input for another tool. So it's almost like having an assistant do something for you when it comes to scheduling or data entry when, you know, we shouldn't be doing those tasks if a machine can do them. And we also use another tool called Notion. And Notion is life for us because it works as a wiki. It works as a task project management board. Mm -hmm. And it also works as a calendar. So you kind of get the best of all of these tools that we would use like Confluence and Jira or Trello and combine them into one central place. And it really removes the need for Google Drive too. But without going too much on a tangent, that's like some of the areas that we've automated. Like when you schedule through Calendly, it goes into Notion. From Notion, it goes to our calendars. From Zapier, it copies the calendar event to other calendars just because we have so many calendars that we manage now. That's awesome. I'm imagining like, you know, atoms zinging through space one after the other, you know, like the <laughs> electrons go boom and everything happens. And yeah, it can be that simple. You just have to set it up. But Ron, you actually said something that's really important that was part of my thought process and something that I put to task for my clients when we're automating. It's being really honest with yourself about what really needs the human touch and the human intervention. And so just like you said, like technically you don't need to be involved in all of this. You can personalize it, but you don't have to be the one doing it. And a lot of times I see people hold a lot of pride in doing it. Probably like that busyness has a lot of pride that people hold on to. The busier you are, the more important you are, which we know isn't true. So yeah, that was good. I love it. And I love Zapier as well. So let's talk a little bit more about some of these pillars, right? We just touched on automation a bit. What are the other two pillars that you typically help businesses with? Yes, yes. So then the second pillar is systems and processes. And so to go back into my story as an example, because I'm willing to be humble and embarrassed, I knew that I was doing things regularly, you know, repeatedly within my company, but I didn't have them documented and I didn't have them really set up in a way that just, it wasn't formalized, I guess I would say. What changed, for example, when I formalized my client journey and I decided I was going to always have every client go through the same process, I started noticing gaps because once it's documented, you can start studying it just like in the scientific method. And so that's actually what I call the scientific method of business. You can study your business if you have it formalized and documented. And what I discovered is that if I added a second step in the prospecting process, so we had the client initial meeting, got to know them, got to know the project. And then instead of emailing them the proposal, I actually had them come back and meet in person. And now of course I would do it via Zoom to explain the proposal our conversion rates went up 60% just because of that step. But I wouldn't have seen that opportunity if I hadn't formalized my systems. And so systems are anything that a human or anything that you're doing repeatedly, but you do need a human involved. So like, I can't automate the proposal process completely. I have to you know, edit the, pro the proposal to some extent. 
And then just to spin right on, I can zip into the third pillar because it's actually very related. So automation, first pillar, stops you from spending time and money on anything that technology can do. Systems get you out of your own head. So it externalizes your tasking and creates a studyable business so that you can improve it. Once all that has happened, you can go into the third pillar, which is hiring. And by hiring, you're offboarding a lot of your own time as well. You're also not paying someone to do something technology can do for you because you've automated. And your training process is a breeze because you've documented all of your systems and all you have to do is hand over the handbook. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Did not go that well <laughs> in my own company, <laughs> but it goes much better for my clients now that I know it. Have either of you gone through some hiring kerfuffles, as we might say? Oh, so many. It is problematic. We've gone through different editors. We've gone through mm. different marketing folks. And one of the issues that we had is that it's almost like you have to go through this training to get someone onboarded correctly. Mm -hmm. And of course, part of it is definitely our fault because maybe we didn't have our systems documented as well as we should have, but we would bring folks on and it seems like we, it'll almost take more time for us to coach someone through what the product should look like, coach them through what they need to do over and over and over again. And it ended up sometimes taking more Mm -hmm. time and sometimes the product wasn't all that great. So what was that piece of advice that you would have for people to, number one, take the time out of their busy schedule to identify what those systems are and what are some of the best practices when you do that? Nice. I'm bouncing up and down. This is, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. And so I've had the same problem and I've seen my clients have the same problem. By the way, for anyone that's listening, you don't have to do the pillars in order. It just works better if you have. To me, what I'm hearing when you say that you feel like you're not getting the compliance that you want with your contractors or employees, it sounds like your hiring process, so systems and processes, second pillar, has a gap somewhere. And to me, the gap that I usually see when this is a problem for my clients is that you're in need of more tripwires in your hiring process. And what I mean by tripwires are little details that are set up throughout the hiring process from listing it all the way to the hire that tells you about the ability of the person to work within the culture, comply with the needs of the company, et cetera. So a tripwire that my client actually just used for her assistant search was that she listed the job on LinkedIn, but she said explicitly, do not reply through LinkedIn. Send your cover letter and resume and references to this email address. So if she got a message through LinkedIn, the person's out. If she got just a CV or resume in her email, person's out. If she got the CV and cover letter, but no references, person's out. So here are these tripwires already calling the field for her because we now know that those people weren't detail-oriented enough to work for my client. And then I also really like, you said that, uh, Chris, I believe you said engineers, right, was one of the pain points? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really like, uh, especially for contractors, to do a paid task. So I'll give the final few, like I'll narrow it down to three to five candidates and have them do a one hour task, which is paid at the rate that 
I would be hiring them for. And I asked them to do something that is needed within the company. So it is useful to me, but it would show me how they would manage the project. So I leave it very open-ended and I just let them tell me how they handled the situation so that I know how they think. I know how they organize tasks. I know how they organize information. And I know the quality that I would be receiving, understanding that this is with a lack of training, but it gives me such a good baseline. So you might be able to do something like that with your engineers, you know, give them a clip, give them an episode and see how they manage it on their own without telling them what your internal processes are and just see what happens. So one of the things that you mentioned uh, a bit ago during, I think, your background was that we're approaching this new phase of work or humanity. I'm sure COVID and the lockdown has changed so much. So when you look at these obstacles that that get in the way when it comes to finding the right help. How does that relate to this new wave of work that we're looking at? Yeah. So I'm studying the pandemic and as an anthropologist, but also paying a ton of attention to it as an entrepreneur and a scaling coach. I'm seeing the field, the playing field just widen. It feels like there's way more opportunities. So I intentionally built a uh location flexible business. As I mentioned, I moved to Berlin during the pandemic and was able to do so seamlessly because I've been conducting all my business via Zoom for years. And now it feels like the world has finally caught up a little bit. And because of that, people are able to connect worldwide in a way that just wasn't the norm before. And so for myself, for my clients, for my partners, for the people I connect with either through podcasts or just the whole entrepreneurial community, it seems like the the playing field is widening and becoming more abundant. So there's a lot more voices, but if I look over the last year and just look over the budget, like everything has grown and my clients are experiencing the same thing. It just is easier now to make the connections and to find what you need because there's no borders. There weren't before, but now everyone to some extent is realizing that. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. One of the things that I think is incredible about you, your energy, and all the information that you have is that I know you can handle the tough questions. And one of the toughest questions I've ever asked Ron, I sat him down. I said, let's turn on the cameras. Let's turn on the mics. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want to see your reaction immediately. We turned everything on and I said, what legacy do you want to leave? And his first reaction was like, "Ooh," because, you know, it, it hit him right in the gut. So what does legacy mean to you and how do people actualize that legacy? Chris, I'm so glad you asked this question. I actually <laughs> and I'm not like I really mean it. <laughs> Um, I think a ton about this and I don't often get to talk about it because 
people have to be just really ready for it. So I really think about personally my own legacy because I'm really, really clear that all I know for sure is that I've got this one life. There may be more, but I don't know that for sure. I know for sure that I can pinch myself and I'm awake and I'm here, I think. (laughs) We won't talk about the matrix. So (laughs) I'm very keen on using my time wisely, accepting the fact that self-care and downtime is also a wise use of time so that I can build my legacy. But I really want to have made the world a better place and to have empowered people to find their own paths. And I find that entrepreneurship is a fantastic tool for freedom, as Ron said, and uh, financial security, and especially for people who are disadvantaged for whatever reason. Because especially in the digital age, the barrier is very low to starting a business. And if you own your time, you own your money and you're location independent, that means that if you are in a city, state, country that is discriminating against you, that is threatening you, you can leave. And so that's that's enormous power that individuals really haven't had in our known history. But I also talk to my clients a lot about this, and I call this the 70-year business plan. So I want my clients to really think not just what are they doing today or what's the next year's business plan or strategic plan, but how does this all play out over the course of their entire lifetimes? And so for you two, you know, Ron and Chris, what I would say is even if you're thinking, well, I don't have 70 years left, I've already you know, lived the however many years you've been alive. I, you know, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) but you've already, you're already down the pathway. You're already in the middle of your 70 year plan. It's up to you to start making the choices. So even if somebody listening is just starting the business and they're 40, okay, you're 40 years into your business plan. Basically everything that you've experienced has led you to this moment and has enabled you to start the business. All of these skills all of the knowledge that you've amassed over the past 40 years has led you to this moment. So you're on your 70-year business plan. Now it's time to start making strategic choices around the fact that you have a 70-year plan. So before the 70-year plan was kind of happening to you and around you, and now you get to strategically choose how everything's going to go, which I hope is a relief to you guys and to the listeners, because you don't have to do everything right now. You can plan it out over the next several years and the next several decades. So you don't need to burn yourself out. You will get there. I would be willing to bet money that you are someone that really looks at their life from a present perspective and also from a future perspective and also with the twist of the past in there also. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I try to do once a year is create a vision board. I try to create a vision and mission statement for myself and kind of create a flow chart for what could happen and how it could happen. What are some things that you do? It sounds like you're very mindful of your present and your future. What are some things that you do to stay on top of just this crazy thing of life and work? Yeah. Uh, so Ron, that's awesome. Everybody take a ticket from Ron, like do your vision board every year. This is really good. I want to lower the bar a little bit by saying that I've always been long-term minded, but I really did not. Am I allowed to swear on this show? I did not have my shit together. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I did not have my shit together for the first half of my entrepreneurship. I was basically flailing. And that's 
part of the reason why I ended up so burnt out. I had no sense of direction. Something that happened right around the time that I was told to scale was a friend kept talking about this book. And he was like, you've got to read this book. You got to read this book. It's called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Have either of you read it, heard it? I haven't. It's been around for a while. Within the first couple chapters, Jack Canfield, who, by the way, that if you think you recognize that name, yes, it's the chicken soup for the soul guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't believe that. I had no idea that this guy was like, such a mindful, powerful person. So I picked it up not expecting much and then got my socks knocked off. So within the first couple chapters, he says, create your 30-30-30 goals map. And what that is, is you write down 30 things you want to have, 30 things you want to be, and 30 things you want to do before you die. I was able to get out five in each column and then was stumped. And that's when mm. I realized that this was not okay. And so I didn't read the rest of the book. I actually set the book down about 40 pages in and sat with this for probably three months until I could answer all those questions. And that's what really helped me pull everything together. And so now I do that every year. So like just like you said, Ron, where you do the vision board every year, I do the 30, 30, 30 goals map every year. I actually explain how to do it on my YouTube channel as well. So if you're not into reading, you can hop over to my YouTube channel and I'll explain it. But I do that every year. And I also both lead a free workshop and also do this for myself that has you reflect on how this past year went. Did you meet goals, exceed them, whatever, but also what was missed and I'll release it. So if you missed something that you had initially thought was a goal, but now you've changed your mind, let's say, I want you to mindfully release it. And so that you don't bring it with you into the new year needlessly, and then write yourself a letter or write the new year a letter so that you're kind of setting expectations and setting the tone for what your next year is going to be, which is this is perfect timing for this interview, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) It is really good timing. So yeah. I love everything that you're saying, you and Ron. And it makes me think that we've been talking a little bit about legacy and legacy to me is a bit of the why, but also the what, what is that thing that you want to do? And scale Mm -hmm. is a bit of that how. For that person that's a pebble right now, they've been completely separated from reality, but they're ready to dive into that pond and have their ripples reach as far as they possibly can go. What is that one piece of advice that you would have for that person when it comes to scale and legacy? My God, what a beautiful visual, Chris. (laughs) Honestly, get connected. Just start plugging, plugging into your community and Again, it doesn't have to be a local community anymore. You can be living 30 miles away from any other human. You know, today with the internet, we can connect to anybody. And so community, I mean the people that you see doing what you want to do because they have knowledge that you don't. And so if you start swimming in that sea, you start to amass knowledge, you start to amass connections, support strategic partners. I'm a huge fan of strategic partners. So people who are doing things for your target market that are aligned with what you're doing, but aren't competitive to what you're doing. So you can help support each other and grow together. Just start looking for people to have conversations with. And I would love to hear your stories about reaching out to someone that you know is ahead of you and just asking to pick their brain and how willing everyone is. Like anyone listening to this right now, if you email me tomorrow and say, hey, Veronica, I kind of want to do what you're doing. Can you tell me how? Yeah, 
let's talk. Let's hop on a Zoom call. No problem. So Chris and Ron, I'm wondering, like, what have your experiences been like when you've reached out to people who you felt were ahead of you and you wanted to know what to do? That's like one of my secret weapons in life. (laughs) And I do that all the time. My wife is like, did you really reach out to that person? I'm like, yep, I sure did. (laughs) And I mean, the worst thing that they could do is either say no or just ignore you. But there's always more people out there that are willing to help like you, like us. And, And sure, sometimes we get busy and we can't help as many people as we want. But there are so many people out there that are willing to give you those learnings, to explain their experiences and their stories. I can't begin to even tell you how many times I've reached out to people and I couldn't (laughs) believe that they responded and helped me out. And so that's really been one of the big themes in my life. What about you, Ron? It's been the same thing. I haven't had anyone say no that has the information on demand. Maybe Mm. it would require someone to write a long email that they're just not ready to write. But I've never actually received a no. The worst that has happened has been just no response. I think everyone out there has a story that they want to share. And if you ask them those questions about the story that they're interested in sharing, they'll absolutely share it. Yeah, definitely. You're right. That like, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you get a no. But now your life is literally the same as it was five minutes ago. So just go for it. It could be a no but. Yep. It could be a no but, or it could be a not right now. I get a lot of not right nows. I get people who say like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in the middle of a huge launch. I can't talk right now. Let's talk in three months. Awesome. I'm so ready right. for it. Veronica, this has been an absolute joy for us. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, all the content that you're putting out there, what are the best ways that people can do that? So I've got a newsletter called the Empire Builders Newsletter. So if you like email, We send it out once a month. It's full of just the latest goodies, tools, connections, ideas, nothing salesy at all. So it's just here's information, use it, love it. And I also have a Discord channel called the Empire Builders Lounge. And again, it's free. Just come in, hang out, build connections, ask questions, get feedback. We talk about finances and ideas and fonts for logos and all kinds of different things. (laughs) So those are the best ways I think, you know, you can come hang out with me if you'd like. And as I mentioned, as I've got the three pillars of business scaling, if it sounds like something you want to demystify, I created a guide that makes it really, really easy to just take this template and put it into your business. So you can download that from my website as well. Love it. I know where I'll be right after this, and that's your Discord. (laughs) And we'll we'll be sure to (laughs) drop all of those resources and links to your social in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.